This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, you never let us down. You're always there for us. You continue to speak to us. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 21, verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him, the first. Jesus saith unto them, verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. Now, what the Lord is doing here is he's telling a history. It's really a history. He didn't say it's like unto, we have to assume this happened. And he's told many histories. He's told many things to the people. He's taught the people by way of histories, by way of parables, This one is one that is told, and this is what makes it unusual, this one is told to his enemies. This history is directed to those who wanted to silence and destroy him. And this is what the Bible calls a reproof. This is a reproof. It is showing a person what is wrong. This is what the Bible does. It shows us where we are wrong. The scriptures are described in 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So when a person, this means that the benefit of the Bible being described by this 
is received when a person comes to the Bible and they are ready for the Bible, for God to put the finger on, point the finger on what's not right in our lives. And that person is gonna get the benefit from the Bible when he's ready. He's ready to change. And this is how the Bible profits a person. The person has to be a seeker when it comes to the Bible. A seeker comes to the Bible with a readiness to change his life, and he seeks for God to show him, to help him how to change. And the Bible focuses a light in the area of the seeker's life that God wants him to change, and the Bible calls that instruction or reproof, or the Bible gives it a term of the way of life, the ways of life in Proverbs 123. Proverbs 123, God says, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Proverbs 6.23, Proverbs 6.23 says, the commandment is a lamp, a light, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. That's the way of life. So the seeker then asks God to help me change, help me change my life, and God does that, and the seeker changes. That's the process that the Bible calls the way of life. It's the way of life. It's by keeping instruction. Proverbs 10, 17, Proverbs 10, 17 describes this whole process of what happens when a seeker comes to the Bible like this. Proverbs 10, 17. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. Proverbs 13, 18 further goes on. Proverbs 13, 18 goes on to say, poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. So if a person, what this all means is that if a person comes to the Bible, if a person comes to the Bible without being a seeker, if a person does not come to the Bible as a seeker who wants to see his life changed, then the Bible has no real value for that purpose. It's valueless. The Bible cannot help that person because Proverbs 15.32, Proverbs 15.32, he that refuseth instruction despises his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. It reminds me of a friend of mine who came to Christ, and when I said to him one evening, I said, I brought this little booklet here. It's a Bible study booklet. It has scriptures in it, and behind each scripture, there are questions designed to inductively teach and draw out the meaning of the verses. And when I presented to him, he said, that's good for my kids, but not for me. When a person stops coming to the Bible as a seeker, looking for how to change his life to be more pleasing to God, then the Bible can't help that person. The Bible can't help that person, and that person closes off his fellowship with Christ, and he becomes lukewarm towards God because he feels self-sufficient. He feels like he's got it all, and that's the description in Revelation 3.16, Revelation 3.16 which God says, so because thou art lukewarm and are neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods, 
I have need of nothing and knowest not. Thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him, will sup with him, and he with me. So this is what's happening in this history that Christ is telling there. He is seeking to help his enemies. He helped his enemies who are the chief priests and the elders of the people, who in verse 23 had already tried to silence him by challenging his authority. And so now the Lord is coming to them and he's saying to them, think, think, in verse 28. But what think ye? What think ye? And so the Lord is gonna use this history of a man with two sons to show them, the chief priests and the elders, what was wrong in their lives. Just like the prophet Samuel did when he used a history of two men to show David what was wrong in his life when he took another man's wife and then killed the, the husband of that woman that he took. In 2 Samuel 12, 1, 2 Samuel 12, 1, the Lord sent Nathan unto David and he came unto him and said unto him, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and was with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup. Just imagine that and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man and spared not to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it and the man that was for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee the king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives unto thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. In other words, God said, I would have given you more wives if that's what you wanted. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. So just as the Lord started this history is he started this history by telling the chief priests and the elders what think ye in verse 28. Samuel could have started his history to David with the same words, what think ye, what do you think, David? And David was so engrossed with the history of it all, he was so involved, he could just feel that little lamb laying in there and 
the head of the lamb coming up and eating off the plate of the man and drinking out of his very cup and fondly embracing that lamb in his lap. And so the David's anger was just enraged. And when David did that, David condemned himself. And that's exactly what happens here in this history with the chief priests and the elders. Out of their own mouths, they condemn themselves. Now, this is a history that Jesus is telling here. This is a history of a man with two sons, two sons, just one father in this story, one father. Not a father with many sons, but a father with two sons. And this one father represents one God. There's an amazing statement in the Shema, in the Shema of Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I mean, there the Jewish people are in the desert of Sinai, really looking like a people ready to perish. And they've been thrown out of Egypt and they're looking very vulnerable there in a place that God said had scorching wind and scorpions and snakes and poisons and so forth. In that situation, there in that desert, God tells Israel the word Eloheinu, Eloheinu, or our God. Our God is the only God. And there is only one God of the universe, and he is, for them, Eloheinu, and for us too. Our God, our God, in other words, the God of Israel. So those Jewish people in the Sinai Desert knew nothing about the people of China, about Chinese people on the other side of the globe. They never saw a Chinese person, probably. And they were told in Deuteronomy 6.4 that Eloheinu, our God, their God, is the God of the Chinese. And the Jewish people in the Sinai Desert, they never saw an Inca Indian living in the Andes Mountains of South America. And they were told in the Shema, in Deuteronomy 6.4, that Eloheinu, our God, their God, is the God of the Inca Indians, and they'd never seen an Inca Indian. Because there is just one God over all people. And the Jewish people knew God as the God had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. He said in Deuteronomy 5, 6, Deuteronomy 5, 6, God said, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. And that's like how we know Jesus Christ as the God who saved us from our sins. But there in the desert, the Jewish people were told to hear this truth, let it really sink into their souls. That's the meaning of the word Shema that starts off in Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Eloheinu, is one Lord. Shema Yisrael, Yahweh, Eloheinu, Yahweh, Echad. And they were told to listen very, very carefully to the truth that Eloheinu, our God, their God, the Eloheinu that saved them from death in Egypt, that that Eloheinu was the one and only true God of the whole earth. Jeremiah 10.10 says this, Jeremiah 10.10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. He is everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. It's one thing for us to say that Jesus Christ is Eloheinu, our God, but it's astounding to say that Jesus Christ is Eloheinu, is the only true God for the whole earth, for the whole earth. 1 John 5.20, 1 John 5.20. We know 
that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. John 17, three, John 17, three says, Jesus said, and this is life eternal, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The only true God, he said. In Scanabies, we had an office uh, just outside of Tokyo for many years, and I used to go to Japan twice a year. I went for 10 years to Japan, and uh, I had no business there. I did, there was no business at all. Japanese were a little hard to break into. But I went because I had a love for the Japanese people, and I wanted to see the Japanese businessmen come to Christ. And that's why I would go and collect all kinds of interesting samples and informations to make presentations and give them and so forth, so I'd have an opportunity to introduce them to Christ. And I was taken many times by them in their uh, gracious hospitality that they do to Buddhist temples and Shinto shrines and the beautiful gardens surrounding those temples and shrines. And those people, I remember when they would take me on the weekends especially, were packed with Japanese people. And I remember looking at those temples and shrines on their grounds there and thinking to myself, Jesus Christ as Eloheinu, as my God, is the only true God, the only true God of the Japanese people. And I would look at all those Japanese idols there and the people clapping their hands, trying to wake them up and bowing down themselves and praying out loud to them and thinking, all false gods, all false gods. And I became so sickened by seeing all those false idols that one time some Japanese business people invited me to go with them to their temple and I said, I hate your temples. I said, and they were kind of shocked, you know. I said, I hate your temples. I hate your shrines because they rob you from the one and only true God, the living God, Jesus Christ. You know, after World War II, General MacArthur was in charge of Japan, and when he saw how the Japanese admired the Americans, uh, MacArthur called for Christian missionaries to come to Japan. And one couple who answered that call from MacArthur was Bert and Muriel Poole. And one day in Japan, when Bert Poole was, had went to Kamakura, to Kamakura where they have this big giant, where there's this big giant Buddha statue. And Bert was sitting there and he was so moved by the sight of that statue that he wrote a song. He wrote a song about that Buddha. And the words which are in a hymnal, the words are this, high on the mount stands a goddess of stone, unbending structure of Satan's design. Benighted hearts with their burden of sin bow, soul accursed, not but turmoil within. Dark is the temple and dark is the heart. No light has entered for Satan controls. If one will tell them, then his light will shine, giving this witness, Christ Jesus is mine. Where are the reapers? The ripe grain doth fall. Dying for want of a reaper, that's all. Rise to the challenge, count no more the cost of going, but how much if thousands are lost. Tell them of one who is living on high. Tell them of one who on Calvary did die. Tell them of one who responds to their plea 
banishing sin in his mercy's deep sea. Imagine what it was like for Paul when he came to Athens, Greece, and was, for all intents and purposes, the only believer standing there on a hill that was dedicated and filled with idols of false gods. And Paul set out to declare that they were all wrong. They were all wrong, and only Jesus Christ was the God that they should turn to and they should worship while he stood on that place called Mars Hill. I mean, can't you imagine Paul on that hill with all those idols, and he's looking all around, and he's saying, where do I start? Where do I start? As he walks through that hill, and he sees one idol after another, and he wonders to himself, how am I going to tell these people that they're all wrong and that there's only one God and his name is Jesus Christ, that they've never even heard of Jesus Christ? So Paul's up there and he's looking around and he's going from idol, monument, and he comes to one monument and it says to the unknown God. He says the unknown God. Can't you just see the light that comes on in Paul's uh, heart and he smiles and he looks at that and he says, I got it. He says, I got it. This is my start. From this monument to the unknown God, I'll preach Christ. And that's what happened in Acts 17.22, Acts 17.22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, "Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, the God that made the world and all things thereon, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men and to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times therein before appointed and the bounds of their habitation." that they might seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, and certain also of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given him assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead. And when they heard this, the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and some said, we'll hear thee again of this matter. So it was when he got to the resurrection of the dead, that caught the Greeks' attention. Everything else was just going by them, but the resurrection of the dead, that's what got to them. Why? Because death was the problem that the Greeks could not solve, the problem of the death of man. And this is the greatest problem of modern science today that tries to explain everything without God. Modern science thinks that it can solve the problem of origin without God with the theories of the Big Bang and evolution. But there's one problem that modern science knows nothing about, and they cannot solve this problem without God, and that problem is simply death. What happens to man after death? Modern science without God has no explanation for that. 
Modern science without God has no ability to change anything about what happens to man after he dies. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.